Well, good morning and welcome again to Catalyst. I'm so glad to see everybody here. Thank you for joining us online. If you're joining us online, um, the, the, this year, the theme is maturity. We're trying to go deeper as a church, and everything we're, we're talking about is taking us deeper. God wants us to mature as a church, and so the series we are, are in is called Grace, God's Gift to a Judgmental Culture. And, and today we are in part three, which is God's <clears throat> cleansing grace. And the main thing today is that the second act of grace, we talked about the first one last week, the second act of grace is God forgiving you of every sin you have committed, are committing, or will commit. And so our, our journey uh, through grace has taken us this far. And so what, what does God do with us when he finds us? Last week we talked about God seeking grace, all, all, also known as prevenient grace to the theologians out there. Um, why does God seek us out? What does he do when he finds us? Well, I was talking to a guy, a, a well-meaning pastor friend of mine, who's a little more liberal than me, and he was convinced that everyone had it wrong. Everybody from the Apostle Paul and Jesus, and Augustine, and Thomas Aquinas, and all the, all the, the great theologians the last 2,000 years were wrong. He was convinced they were. And, um, and I, I, he said, well, Jesus spent time with tax collectors, and prostitutes, and thieves. And I said, yeah, of course he did. I said, and then what? He goes, well, he told them that he loved them. And I, I was like, okay, that's awesome. And then what? And then he said this. Well, he, then he affirmed their humanity. Okay? I, he goes up to a person that is caught in sin and says, I am Jesus and I affirm you're human. And I said, and then what? And he didn't have an answer. He said, that's it. That's what Jesus does. And in Luke chapter 15, we talked about last week where, where the, the sheep is missing. Um, did, the, the, did Jesus say the, the farmer went looking for the sheep when found the sheep, said, I affirm you're a sheep? No, as a matter of fact, Jesus did something very differently. Jesus said the farmer took the sheep and brought it back home, changed their situation. See, Jesus spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes for one reason, which was to save them, to call them to repentance, to say that there's something better for you than where you are right now. That's why he does that. God isn't content just to seek and find us. He wants to seek and find us, and then he wants to save us. He wants to cleanse us, okay? This Twitter video is not what God has for you. Check this out. Finds the sheep. <laughs> that is not what God has for you. Okay? Okay? But how many of us are planning on doing that today? How many of us are going to be in church, we're going to praise God, we're going to make decisions. We're going to be convicted of our sin. We're going to say, God, I'm going to change. Jesus pulls us out of our sin, pulls us out of our situation, and we go running away and jump right back into it. How many of us, that has been the story of our lives? We laugh at that. What a dumb sheep. Well, what a bunch of dumb humans we are. 
All right? That is not what God has for you. Praise God that he does not want you to do that. He doesn't pull you out of the, of the trap you're in just to see you jump, it back, jump right back in, okay? The rest, this is the next step of grace, cleansing grace, or as the theologians call it, justifying grace. And if you want to know why it's called justifying grace, being justified, it means just as if I'd never sinned. When the, when the grace of God finds you, seeks you out, and convicts you and pulls you, pulls you out of, of, of where you were, then he cleanses you just as if I'd never sinned. Here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 19, we see the story of the conversion of Saul becoming Paul, the apostle Paul. And what I found is that the grace of God, God's cleansing grace, interrupts us. It interrupts us, Acts 9, 1 through 4. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. In other words, he hated people like you and me. He, the, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament was a killer of people like you and me. He hated us with a passion, okay? People that called on Jesus as Lord and Savior. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters of synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The first thing I found is that the cleansing grace of God interrupts our mission. See, God has no problem whatsoever in stopping us in our tracks. There's no problem whatsoever. Saul had his plan. He had his mission. He was convinced that he was right. He was dedicated to it. He was committed to it. He was convinced that this is what God wanted him to do. Interestingly enough, this is what he thought was his mission. He was single-minded of purpose. He was sincere. And he was sincerely wrong, and it didn't matter. When God comes seeking you, he interrupts you rudely, I might add. He is not, he's impolite. He isn't politically correct. He doesn't wait for a convenient time for you, amen? When God interrupts you, have you ever been interrupted by God? Let's see if any of these sound familiar. Have you had your life plans, and all of a sudden, you get an illness? You have everything mapped out, and you don't get the job. You have everything lined out and nothing goes your way. It might seem that God is against you. I'm sure that Saul felt that God was against him when this happened. God will interrupt our mission, y'all, if we're on the wrong mission. If we're on the wrong mission, God's going to interrupt us. Okay, He'll interrupt our path in life. We're walking on the wrong path because he loves you too much to let you walk a wrong path. Okay? He's not gentle about it. Our eternity, our salvation is too important to him for him to tap dance. Okay? God cannot give you his cleansing grace while you're dedicated to the wrong mission in life, you guys. Now remember, the wrong mission doesn't necessarily have to be evil or sinful or even illegal. It may, can be perfectly okay for someone else, not you. Okay? I, he interrupts us on our mission. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Second thing that he interrupts, he interrupts our beliefs. See, I, I, there are a lot of people that came in here and joined us online that have beliefs that aren't biblical. Did you know that? They're not biblical. They're formed by mass media. They're formed by people you've listened to, or, or they're, they're formed by your friends or this sick culture we live in, okay? But they're not biblical, and God interrupts so. See, see, Saul was a Pharisee. He was a, a leading Jewish uh, a person. He was, a, he was an educated man, very dedicated Jewish leader. And he was convinced he was right. 
There was no talking him out of anything. He was convinced that he was right and everyone else was wrong. Do you know anybody like that in this culture? Convinced they're right? Adamant that the other side is wrong? Uh, adamant that the other side is evil? You know people like that? Yeah? Yeah. We have a culture full of that. As a matter of fact, it's becoming more and more that way every day. God interrupted his beliefs. And God comes seeking you. Many times he interrupts beliefs that we have never even questioned before. Maybe our entire peer group has accepted them, promotes them. Maybe the entire society promotes them and calls the other side wrong. Well, God doesn't seem to care much about what your friends think, nor mass media, uh, what mass media has to say about right and wrong. He doesn't care. God showed Saul in an instant his hypocrisy, hatred, his judgmentalism, his violence. I want to ask you all, and you all have been interrupted by the grace of God. What has God shown you? What has God shown you? In the Old Testament, uh, God sent prophets to interrupt Israel's beliefs, okay, because they were going in the wrong way, especially their idolatry. One of the charges that God brought against the nation of Israel in its last days was the worship of the idol-slash-god Molech, also known as Baal. This is very fascinating. I actually studied what Molech and Baal worship was. It's amazing how primitive and Neanderthal these people are. They, they are not anywhere near as intelligent or sophisticated as us. Baal and Molech worship took three things. Number one, sexual promiscuity. Number two, child sacrifice. And three, worship of the environment. What a bunch of primitive Neanderthals. I'm so glad we don't deal with that today. You know, isn't that amazing? Like I said, we're so much more evolved than them. They would actually take their children and they would sacrifice them in fires. They would burn them up, hoping that God, Molech, would bless them financially, give them good harvests. It's great that people today don't sacrifice children in pursuit of their careers or financial gain. Who in their right mind would sacrifice their children for career advancement? For material gain. Thank goodness that we don't have that in our society, right? Found this picture of actress Michelle Williams. Says this last year, actress Michelle Williams boasted about her abortion during her speech at the 2020 Golden Globe Awards last night in Los Angeles, California, after collecting an award for the TV role in the TV miniseries. The actress who was visibly pregnant, says she wouldn't have won the award, wouldn't have thrived in her career if she hadn't aborted her other baby or babies years ago. I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. Whether we call it that or we call it Molech worship or Baal worship, there's nothing new under the sun. Same thing now. Molech has different names now. Success, self-actualization. You only live once, whatever you want to call it. But it's all Baal worship. In order to cleanse us and save us, God has to interrupt our beliefs. He interrupted Israel's because he loved them. He interrupts ours as well. God cannot cleanse us and save us as long as we're worshiping another God or bowing down to another idol. All right, so what, I want to ask you, what God today, what idol has your attention and has your worship and has your affection? It's real easy. It's real easy to tell what, has, what, what, what God you are worshiping. Whatever gets your time, whatever gets your money, whatever gets your passion, whatever gets your thoughts. At the end of that trail is something. 
And whether or not it's a, 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 a made-up God like Baal or something like a career or a possession or a person or whatever, that is your God. That is what you're bowing down and worshiping. Whatever gets all of you, okay? That's your God. If it's anything other than God, you have an idol problem. And people say, well, I, I didn't come to church here to, to, to say that, that, uh, that, that uh, my my." emphasis and, and my, my career and everything was wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. But God interrupts your beliefs. He's not, he's not kind about it either because he loves you too much. Okay? God cannot cleanse and save us as long as we're worshiping another God or idol. He sent prophets to the, to the nation of Israel to call them back from this destructive worship. And he's calling us the same way because we are doing the same Things, you guys. The more things change, the more they stay the same. God interrupts our beliefs. He also interrupts our careers. We find this about, about, the, about Saul here. For God's cleansing grace to happen to you, it's a total life transformation. Total life transformation. Sometimes it means we have to leave our careers. Seriously, sometimes we have to do that. Saul could not continue to be a professional persecutor of Christians after, uh, God, after God interrupted him. He interrupted his career and changed him into a missionary. Now, most of us in here, hopefully, aren't professional persecutors of the church, so we're good, right? No. It depends. What if you aren't in an evil profession? What if you aren't in an evil profession? But... You're not where God wants you to be. What if, you guys? What, I, I've spoken several times of the 100,000-hour challenge. The 100,000-hour challenge is simply this. 50 weeks a year, 50 hours a week in general, times 40 years equals 100,000 hours. Every person in here, in general, will spend about 100,000 hours of their lives working. That's a big chunk of time. And if that is not doing what God wants you to do, you are missing out, okay? To the, to the Christian, it's of paramount importance. Is what you dedicate 100,000 hours of your life to, is that glorifying to God? Is that what he put you on this earth to do? That's the question. When God calls you and saves you, it's a total life commitment. He doesn't just call you to cleanse you of, uh, and, and save you. He calls you to total life surrender, including a profession, Millard Fuller rose from humble beginnings in rural Alabama, graduating from Auburn University and Alabama School of Law. He was a millionaire by age 29, but his marriage and his health suffered. One morning, he was leaving for work, and his wife said, great, Millard, go and make rich men richer. Great life, Millard. And that comment bothered him so much that he walked, when he got into work, he walked into the boss's office and quit his job. He came home, told his wife, I quit. She goes, what? I was, what? And he said, I'm going to do something different with my life. Something that will serve God. Something that God wants me to do. Now, 45 years later, Habitat for Humanity is one of the most recognized organizations on the planet. Providing affordable housing, for people, Millard Fuller wasn't content just to work. He realized that if he was going to live as a Christian, he had to work where God wanted him to work. Some of you in here and online are in the wrong professions, and you know it. You may be earning a paycheck. You may be earning a living, but you're not living. You're not where you're supposed to be. 
And, and where you're working may not be evil, but it may not be where God wants you to work. I was listening to a call-in radio show on the way to work on Wednesday. A mom was talking to the host about uh, uh, her son. She was concerned about him. And uh, he, she said, uh, I'm, I'm, I need some advice. My son is wanting to go into a career that I'm afraid he won't be able to pay the bills or feed his family. And the host said, well, what profession is this? And she said, he wants to go into full-time ministry. And the host said, well, um, ma'am, do you know any pastors, any ministers? And she goes, well, yeah, we're really involved at in our church. I know our, our pastor well. And the host said, well, um, are his kids starving? You know, are, 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 do they, are they without clothes? And she goes, well, no. And he said, ma'am, there are literally hundreds of thousands of pastors, and none of them have kids that are starving. They're, they're able to provide food for their family. Ma'am, what you're worried about is your son won't be wealthy. And, he, and then he went on this rant where he said, I am so sick you guys, I get people calling in here every day saying, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s, I wanted to go into ministry, or I wanted to be a cop, or I wanted to be uh, an EMT, or I wanted to be a teacher, and the, these helping professions that just don't earn a lot of money, and I've been talked out of it by my parents, I've been talked out of by well-meaning people, and here I am sitting in a cubicle, I'm in my 30s, and I'm four, in my 40s, and I'm miserable, and I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And, and it's amazing. he said, it's unbelievable how many calls I get with that. And he said, make sure, parents, that you're telling your children to do what God wants them to do. Not to chase the almighty dollar, but to do what God wants you to do. I'm thankful that when I told my parents that I was going into ministry, their only reaction was, well, you chose the hardest profession I've heard of. And that's turned out to be true. But being where God wants you to be, you guys, there's no choice. You be where God wants you to be, you'll never work a day in your life. Because work will be amazing. I'm just calling some of you guys out of your professions right now. Some of you know exactly what you need to do. Scared? Or you haven't surrendered to God? Let's have a church full of people that are where God wants you to be. Let's do that. God approaches us to cleanse us and save us. He interrupts our mission, our beliefs, and our careers. He interrupts everything, you guys, because devotion to Christ is a total commitment. It's a total commitment. Everything must be surrendered to him, everything. He calls us from the wrong mission to his mission. He calls us from the wrong beliefs to the, to the beliefs in the real God. He calls us from the wrong careers to his career for us. And God is cleansing grace is so much more than just the forgiveness of sins. That's like 1% of it, you guys. It seems like that's the only percent that anybody wants to hear about. Maybe, like, like I said, I don't, know, I don't know why that is, but God completely interrupts Saul. He throws him out of his groove. Now, the amazing thing about Saul, though, is that he responds. He responds. Check this out. Not verse nine, uh, chapter, verse, chapter 9, verse 5. Sorry, I'm getting excited, you guys. I, I get excited. Sorry. Hey, he goes, who are you, Lord? And, and uh, he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I love this. I love this because probably a lot of you guys' heads are spinning right now. Like, oh, man, I've, 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 been, I've had my mission interrupted. I've had my beliefs interrupted. I've had my, <laughs> now I'm thinking like I'm, on Monday, tomorrow I go to work, i got to quit. i gotta, I got to find, man, man my, my, my head is spinning right now. Well, see, this is, this is the great thing. See, God only reveals one thing at a time. 
Okay, he didn't tell Saul, hey, I'm going to change your name to Paul. You're going to write the Bible. You're going to plant churches. You're going to be the most persecuted person in history. You're going to be everything. No, no, no. He goes, get up and go to the city. That's it. And Saul's like, okay, get up and go to the city. I, I, I can do that. I can do that. See, God doesn't overwhelm us. He gives us one step at a time. Okay? Question is, are you going to respond? God tells Saul, get up and go to the city. You'll be told, then you'll be told what to do. Same is true for you. You know, maybe your first step is repentance. Maybe some of you guys have never, ever accepted Christ before. And you're like, what, 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 no, 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 no. Repentance. Then you'll be told what to do. Maybe your first step is to finally realize that God loves you. Maybe you, you, your first step is to, uh, is, is to repent. It's like not a career change. But that may come later. But guys, one step at a time. Saul, get up and go into the city. And maybe saying that to you this morning, I'm Jesus, you've been neglecting. Now that sin you've been holding on to, repent of it. Then I'll tell you what to do. Or that, that person you need to forgive, yeah, forgive them. Then you'll be told what to do. That decision to be baptized, you've been be baptized. Then you'll be told what to do. And God cleanses us. He calls us to be faithful to one step at a time. And that's amazing, you guys. I love that. Because I can get overwhelmed very easily. When I became a Christian, age 17, he didn't tell me I was going to be a pastor. I couldn't handle that. He just said, repent of your sins, and you'd be told what to do. All right? You guys, God isn't approaching you right now to affirm you where you are or to make you as comfortable as possible in your lostness. That's not his purpose for you today. None of you guys came to church this morning or logged in this morning in the hopes that God would leave you exactly where you are. No one did that. If you wanted to do that, you just stayed at the house. You engaged this morning because you want God's next step for you. And I'm thankful for that. Making people comfortable where they are. That seems to be the focus of most ministries that, I'm, that, I, that I encounter. I will never understand why someone claims to be a follower of Christ as long as God is, a few, uh, God is okay with a few non-negotiables. This crazy attitude that emanates from so many Christians these days. See if, see if this sounds familiar. See if this attitude is yours. God, I'm going to do you a huge favor. And I'm going to give you an hour of my week every Sunday morning. I'm going to do a huge favor, God. Okay? Uh, you know, God, I'll allow you, you know, to forgive my sins. I'll, I'll, I'll allow you to be in my life when I need you. Uh, God, I'll allow you to reinforce everything that I currently believe. But God, I'm telling you, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, okay? Uh, you have to understand, I'm doing you a major favor here, God. As a matter of fact, God, you need me more than I need you, okay? So just be happy with what I give you. Just be happy with the little bit, you know. Just be happy with that, God. Stay in your lane. Fact. We actually think God needs us more than we need him. Oh, the arrogance of that attitude. Oh, the arrogance of approaching God, telling him that there are some things in our lives that are off limits. Oh, the arrogance of approaching God as if he needs us more than we need him. Charles Spurgeon, you guys look at the screen, said this, I hate sin because of the punishment. I have not repented of sin. I merely regret that God is Jesus. 
What kind of response are you giving God this morning? Are you approaching God with some qualifications? God, this is off limits, so stay in your lane. Or are you like the Apostle Paul that says, Lord, I'm yours. Saul's blinded. He's knocked off, the, knocked off his donkey. He goes in the city and fasts for three days. God does something amazing, you guys. This is my favorite part of the story. I love this. This is awesome, you guys. He approaches a man named Ananias. God does. He appears to a man named Ananias who's a Christian. And he, he tells him to go pray for Saul. And Ananias says, no way, Jose. Okay? I, I know this guy. He's here to kill me, God, and all other people that, that, that love you, that call you, that, that call you Lord and Savior. I'll, I'll pass. I ain't going there. And God wasn't having any of that. He says, go. So Ananias goes, and God mobilizes his church to fully reach us. In verse 17, Ananias went to this house and entered it. Entered, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God showed Saul something in his very first day as a Christian, is that he cannot survive without the church. See, it was only when the church of God got involved that Saul was fully healed. There's no lone wolf Christians, most we like to believe that there are, you simply cannot live out your calling from God without active involvement in the church. When God cleanses us, you guys, he places a church around us. He places in a community. Community is essential for, for a part of ongoing, God's ongoing grace. You'll never be fully healed without the church. You won't. I've seen it tried. I've seen it tried countless times. I can be a Christian without being part of the church. No, you can't. No, you can't. If Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, get this, I love this. If Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, the most thoroughly converted man in history, couldn't do it without the church, you can't either. You can't either. Unless, of course, you're more Christian than Paul is. Anybody here more Christian than Paul is? More godly, stronger, more dedicated than Apostle Paul. Anybody in here, show hands? Well, if he can't do it without the church, neither can we. All right? God fully mobilizes the church to be the conduit of grace. And get this, cleansing grace causes our eyes to fully open. Uh, verse 18 and 19, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Okay, grace is so much bigger than forgiveness. It opens our eyes to see things as they really are. When you are hit by the grace of God, you begin to see things like God sees them. And scales fall from your eyes, okay? You ever been taken in by something that promised more than delivered? And then when it hits you, like scales fell from your eyes and you saw what it actually was? All right, um, a lot of you guys know that, um, that I'm, I'm a car guy. I love cars. I love to buy cars. I, I, I just love cars. I love to work on cars. I, I'm from a car family. We love cars. In other words, I'm a guy, okay? We, we, love, we love cars. Well, I, I know a lot about cars now. I didn't used to. And probably the worst mistake I ever made, I, in my early 20s, um, well, mid-20s, I wanted a Mercedes. And... Even though I was a youth minister and couldn't afford one, I wanted one anyway, so I found one with 181,000 miles on it that shook 
all right? Uh, you started it and it shook. Everybody knew it was a piece of junk. Everyone knew it except me. And against the advice of my wife, guys, don't ever do that. Against the advice of every person that knew anything about cars, I bought it. And then when the problem started, something like scales fell from my eyes and I saw what everyone else saw. And that night for dinner, I had to choose between the humble pie and the crow because that was all that was on the menu, okay? Well, I saw for what it truly was. I said, guys, that's what grace does for us. The Mercedes looks so shiny and awesome. And then when I actually got in it, scales fell from my eyes. I saw what it really was. And that's what grace does for us. It allows us to see the emptiness of anything other than God. How many of you all have been suckered in by things in this world that promised a lot more than it delivered? How many of you all have been suckered into a relationship with the wrong person that promised a lot more than they delivered and you got hurt because of it? And something like scales fell from your eyes and you saw the character of that person. See, guys, it allows us to see the emptiness of anything other than God. It allows us to see the beauty and wonder and awesomeness of God. It allows us to see the worthlessness of anything other than God. The prophet Isaiah used very strong words to describe this, and I even hesitated to read this scripture this morning because it's kind of intense, but this is the word of God. Um, I'm going to quote the Bible here. Believe me, it's uncomfortable. But this is what Isaiah said to Israel about their idolatry and what happens when something like scales fall from our eyes, when we actually see the things we've been dedicating our lives to other than God. This is what it says in Isaiah 30, 22. Then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold, and you will throw them away like minstrel cloth and say to them, away with you. That's some pretty powerful imagery. So this is what God compares the things we dedicate our lives to, beliefs we had, things that this world tries to deceive us with, because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Your old missions, your old sins, your old idols, your old career, your old life, they're all, to use the Bible, used tampons that need to be thrown away and never picked back up. That's what the Bible says. You got a problem with it? It's the word of God. Take it up with God. That's what God's cleansing grace does for you. You see things for what they really are. Here's the thing, it all depends on how you approach God. So many of us approach God the wrong way, and so many many of us here and online are approaching God the wrong way this morning. You're approaching with arrogance, you're approaching with with, um, haughtiness, maybe with suspicion. Very troubled the way that so many people approach God, making demands, Expecting grace for some things, been perfectly okay with other things. Jesus told a parable about this in Luke 18. Luke 18, 9 through 14, there are two men that approached God, responded to God, but in two very different ways. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, it's amazing that no one in this culture does that. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stood at a distance. 
He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I see a lot of people exalting themselves today. We have a culture that tries to, where, where we try to exalt ourselves, our, 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 our virtue, our righteousness, how much better we are than the other side. True? It's all we see. What does the Bible say about that? Here's the best news as I invite the band to come on back up. Here it is, you guys. One of these days, every one of us, in here, online, out there in the world, every one of us is going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of our lives. The Bible says that Satan will be there as a prosecuting attorney. As a matter of fact, the word Satan means accuser. That's what he does. He accuses. Interestingly enough, a little side note, the more accusation spews out of your mouth, the more you're acting like Satan. But I digress. He will accuse us of everything we've ever done. He'll have evidence. It's the one time in Satan's life he will not have to tell a lie. What he will say is 100% true. There will be an airtight case because the judge, God's already seen the evidence. Those of us who are Christians who've been sought out by God, convicted of our sins by the Holy Spirit, repented and received his cleansing grace, we have Jesus as our defense attorney. And as Satan lists off all the sins we've ever committed, like I say, he's not going to have to lie. Jesus smiles. He tells the judge, those offenses have been paid for in full. Erased. Charges dismissed. But that's not even the entire thing. This is where it gets good, you guys. It's not just that your sin is canceled because of God's cleansing grace. It also says that all of the good stuff that Jesus did in his life will be written on us. Okay, the Bible says that he has imputed unto us his righteousness. And that basically means that all the good stuff that Jesus did, that's all that God is going to see when they open the Kibler book or the whatever book. All right, and so when the defense attorney speaks up, not only all charges dropped, but he, he begins to list all the things that, that we did. And, and God is like, like looking in the book, and he's like, Kibler, did you walk on water? Did you heal Lazarus? Did you raise Lazarus from the, You really did all this? I look at God and say, hey, God, this, this is your system. It's, that's your book. You know, it's your book. And I'm just, and Satan will drop his head on the table in exasperation. And Jesus will give you, and I, a little wink. And then we'll look at God and see the slightest hint of a smile on his amazing face. As he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. All of it undeserved and freely given to all those will accept God's cleansing grace. Second act of grace is God forgiving you of every sin you have committed, are committing, or will ever commit. Praise God.